Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we are going to wrap up our really fun Scout Story segment this week talking wide receivers. But before we get there, for Mr. Relevant this week, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy, is going to drop by to talk through the top players at each position that are in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Practice gets underway this week from Mobile, Alabama. We're going to be breaking it all down. Daily podcast right here on this feed. You don't want to go anywhere. Make sure you stay subscribed right here to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. After my conversation with Jim, I'm going to catch up with Chris McPherson, who will be joining me daily here throughout the week as we recap every single day, every single practice that happens uh, from Mobile, Alabama. So C-Mac and I, we're going to react to what Jim had to say at the top of the show. We're also going to kind of set the table for what all the NFL teams, all 32 teams are doing down here in Mobile, Alabama. After that, we'll wrap things up with Scout Stories. Again, the final edition where Eagles Director of Player Personnel, Brandon Brown, is going to drop by to talk about the wide receiver position and how to evaluate those guys from college to the NFL. Tomorrow, here on the feed, Ben Fennell and Dane Brugler drop by for what has become one of my favorite exercises that we do every single year, a senior bowl only mock draft. Ben and Dane are both going to draft teams. They're going to fill out entire rosters based only on senior bowl players. Really, really fun exercise that'll help get you ready for the week of practice and obviously for the game that culminates on Saturday. That said, let's get things started with the one Jim Nagy and Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to welcome back here to the Journey to the Draft podcast to help preview this week's Senior Bowl is the Executive Director of the Reese Senior Bowl, and that is Jim Nagy. Jim, welcome back to the show. Yeah, Fran, awesome to be back, man. Love coming on with you. All right, well, let's get through uh, some of the top players at each of these positions. And uh, the way I'll kind of separate this is the same way we did it uh, previously. A guy that I'm excited about, and a guy I'm interested to kind of hear you talk more about, and we'll start at quarterback, where that's going to be one of the big discussion points all week long during practice. Really excited about Kenny Pickett from Pitt. Obviously a huge senior season. And I'm interested to know more about Malik Willis from Liberty, another guy that I'm really excited about as well with his ceiling. Uh, Interested to kind of get your thoughts on both Kenny and Malik. Yeah, um, you know, Kenny's a guy that accepted his invite a year ago. uh, And he he decided to go back to school. And, and, uh, you know, we had some really good dialogue, kind of got to know each other through that last year. Um, and have been at the Manning camp for, you know, a few years with him. So it's cool to finally get him a mobile, but uh, obviously made a big jump this year on tape. Uh, you know, like we, we told him last year, you know, high end fourth round, some teams had fifth and sixth round grades on him. So really, really big jump. I think the biggest thing for Kenny was he was fully healthy this year, the mobility. I mean, he, he was just creating more, he was getting out of the pocket more, um, you know, across the board, you look at his numbers, the, the stats kind of paint a picture of, of the jump that he made, but uh you know, I think for Kenny, this will be a really good opportunity for him to show um, these teams down here, like what kind of guy he is. I mean, I've been around him. He's really charismatic. He's been kind of the alpha of the alphas at the Manning camp over the last few years. He's got a really cool way about him, um, kind of Joe Burrow-ish in a way, like he just, you know, guys guys kind of gravitate to him. So just like for all the quarterbacks, it'll be a big week in terms of getting in a huddle and getting under center and spitting out verbiage and, you know, all the stuff we'll have to do at the next level. But uh no, I think the more Kenny's around the teams, the better off he'll be. Um, just letting them kind of feel who he is. And then a uh, huge week for Malik, man. I mean, I, I've heard people say they think he's got the best tools in this class. I, it's hard to argue that. Um, he's a big, thick, physical kid, very strong, hard to get on the ground, can create with his strength and his, and his legs. 
Um, yeah, he's just a playmaker. The guy, and he and he was forced to be at Liberty. I mean, the guy had to do a lot on his own. Uh, you know, no knock on, on on the supporting cast, but you know, big arm. I think we'll see that. I think uh, you know anyone with an overwhelming trait, regardless of position, um, can really impress in a live setting. And I think Malik will do that with his arm. Um, so yeah, excited to get both those guys down here. Both both have a chance to be. You know, right now they they got a really good chance to be first round picks. How high we'll see. Um, but I would be surprised if both of those guys don't go in the first round. Yeah, and obviously that's going to be the case for a bunch of the quarterbacks down there is just really kind of proving their wares in front of all 32 NFL teams. Let's get to the guys sharing the backfield with those quarterbacks, and that's the running back position. Rashad White is a guy that's really intriguing to me because I feel like there's a lot of downhill, big physical grinders in this class, not as many of the 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 dynamic pass catchers, the, the, the dual threats, and Rashad definitely has that kind of skill set. Interesting kind of get your thoughts on Rashad. And then Damian Pierce is a, a personal favorite of mine from Florida, just one of the most physical competitive, tough backs, uh, really in the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, Rashad, um, really fluid athlete. One of the best athletes in this group. Um, you know, like you said, versatility, uh, good out of the backfield. He's dynamic in the open field. He can make people miss. He's, he's, you know, he's got some big playability. Um, so it'll be any, anyone that's as good in the past game as Rashad White is, um, we'll have, we'll have a good week down here. And uh, we're, we're, we're with you here in the office on Damian Pierce. He's one of our favorite guys as well. Um, you know, I just kind of sum him up. He, he's an NFL running back, you know, like he's hard to tackle. He's powerful. He's, he's really good on contact. He can create on his own. I think he's a, I think he's shiftier than people give him credit for. He's not just a plow horse, big two, 220 pound back. Um, he's got nimbleness to him and, uh, and he can, and he can catch it in the pass game and make plays. He's a three down back. I think he's, I think he's going to be an NFL starter. Um, you know, it depends on where he goes, whether that's right away or that's eventually. But um, I think that guy's going to start in the league. Let's get to wide receiver where uh, a really interesting group, a diverse group. Calvin Austin from Memphis has been so dynamic whenever on the field. Uh, punt return, kick return, obviously as a wide receiver. And then Christian Watson uh, from the FCS level at North Dakota State. Interesting to kind of get your thoughts on both of these guys. Very different in terms of body type, but uh, they can change the game in some similar ways. You just took the words right out of my mouth. They, that's, what, that's how I was going to cue it up. Very different body types, but but similar speed. Um, you know, Kelvin's a cool story. Former walk-on at Memphis, and to see what he's been able to do, it's amazing a kid like that can fall through the cracks. Someone that fast can fall through the cracks out of high school. But, uh, but no, dynamic with the ball in his hands. You know, we've, had, we've had some good success with Memphis guys over the last few years with Tony Pollard and Antonio Gibson. Uh, we're excited to get Kelvin down here. You know, he – He's just he, he brings that speed element, you know, and, and, he, and he does it in both phases. He can impact two phases of the game. Uh, and then and then with Christian Watson, a guy that we're really excited about, he's 6'4", 210 pound guy that can really roll um, the speed. is He looks like he's playing at a different speed at the FCS level, um, really unchallenged when, when he's trying to get vertical. I mean, he just runs away from people. So um, I think the biggest thing for Christian during the week is proving his hands. Um, you know, cleaning some of that up. There's just some catch consist catch consistency stuff. Um, you know, that has a has some teams uneasy right now. But uh, you know, I think he's he's gotten better in that area. And uh, you know, a fluid 6'4", 210 pound guy that can roll. Um, sky's the limit, man. I think he's got as high a ceiling as any any anyone that we're bringing down here during the week. 
Uh, you could say the same about Cincinnati's uh, Alec Pierce as well. Similar kind of body type and skill set. Interesting to see both of those guys uh, perform here in uh, in drills and, and senior bowl. Let's get to the tight end spot. Jeremy Ruckert. I know this is a group overall that you're really high on. Jeremy Ruckert, uh, just a, an enforcer as a blocker, what he does, uh, pass game, run game, an underrated receiver as well. Interesting to get your thoughts there. And then uh, Greg Dulcich from UCLA, uh, one of the underclassmen uh, who had that senior bowl eligibility. You should have learned more about Greg. Yeah, so so Ruckert's a guy that that uh, I think is going to be a better uh, pro than college player. If you just look at the numbers, I think he's going to be more productive in the pass game. And that's no, I'm not pointing the finger at Ohio State staff. Nobody does a better job than than those guys do on offense. Uh, but there's just so many balls to go around, and and you, you know the receivers that they that they have there. So uh, like you said, he plays with an edge as a blocker. He's got the frame to play on the end of the line. Um, has some edge to him, which is really cool. And when, when you pull up the all-targets cut-up, you see what he can do in the passing game. It's just kind of, if you're going game by game, you're like, man, we wish, we wish this guy were getting the ball more. So, you know, I just I just bring it back to last year at that position uh, with Trey McKitty from Georgia came here with only six catches. Um, has a, you know, he had like 11 and a half inch hands. He caught everything during the week and he goes in the third round of the, to the LA Chargers and, and had a good rookie year. I think Jeremy could, could prove the same thing over the course of the week. Dulcich is a guy that, you know, we usually do, you know, we, we really work hard to figure out these juniors and their grad status going, you know, over the summer and spring. Uh, but Greg kind of popped on our radar late in December. We were not prepared for that one. Um, so I'm glad we were able to, to fit him in. But, uh, you know, a, 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 a productive player in the passing game at UCLA. And the thing really, if you just want to pick one thing, he's got to pull away gear. Um, you know, in terms of a route runner, it, you know, he, he's got to work at the top of route a little bit. Um, but in terms of crossers and verticals, when he's running the seam, like if he can catch it on the move, he's going to run away from you. So um, a guy we're really excited about, to, uh, really excited to get because we weren't really expecting to have him. Um, yeah, those are those are two good ones that are really strong group. Yeah, Dulcich, one of those guys that could be a three-level threat in the pass game, and he, he'll line up with his hand in the dirt as well uh, in the run game, obviously running the ball uh, plenty in that Chip Kelly offense. Let's get to the, the offensive line. One guy I've been excited about for a long time, and maybe it's just because of what Jordan Mailata has done uh, here in Philadelphia, Daniel Falalele uh, at Minnesota, just a, a really intriguing background coming from Minnesota. Interesting to get your thoughts uh, on Daniel, but then also uh, Luke Gedeke, I feel like kind of flying under the radar, two right tackles here. Uh, Gedeke has played both inside and outside. Interesting to get your thoughts on Luke and how he first kind of got onto your guys radar uh yeah uh so daniel is uh he's a, a humongous human being it's obvious when you watch tape i think that sticks out friend you'll see this from like the i know you've seen it from the end zone copy you see this guy getting his stance i mean he's lower than guys on the line that are six two and six three so you know, i've had some teams you know and some people in the media ask me if, if i think daniel can play some guard and why not um you know you, you you tend to say no there's kind of a diminishing returns aspect when you get too tall uh, but with his ability to, to play low and, and get under people, I don't see why he couldn't do that. Um, I do. I think he's an immediate starter for somebody. He's just uh, rare traits. And I don't use the word rare. Don't, don't use that very much. But he is a rare guy when it comes to size. Um, and he is light on his feet for, for a man that big. And then uh, for Luke at Central Michigan, you know, he's been a little bit overshadowed by Bernard Raymond. Um, and, and Bernard's going to be a really good player. I think, he, you know, He's probably going to go late one to mid two, somewhere in that range right now, just to be conservative. But uh, and he's gotten a lot of pub because he's he's from Austria and that's a cool background. But but yeah, Luke uh, is another guy that we didn't know a lot about because, you know, when you just looked at the Central Michigan bio over the summer, 
they didn't have his 2017 year at Wisconsin Stevens Point in there. So we we thought Luke was a junior. Um, so yeah, we got on him a little late, but he was an easy guy to warm up to. Man, he's uh, he's uh, he's a natural football player. He plays with he plays with good leverage. Um, you know, we're going to play him at some center down here during the week. I think he's a guy nice. that can play all, all, all three spots, center guard and tackle. Um, and again, as much as hype as, as Bernard has received, you know, we have a scout on our staff that did the Midwest for us this year, who is one of the best, has been one of the best evaluators in the NFL for the last 25 years, Andy Dengler. Um, he feels like Luke might, might end up being, you know, having a, a longer and better pro career than Bernard. Um, and he thinks, and he, and he likes Bernard a bunch too. So, um, yeah, I think Luke's the guy coming into the week is a little undervalued right now. But, you know, if, if, if uh, Robert Hainsey from Notre Dame got all the way up to the third last year, um, it is not out of the realm of possibility at all for, for Luke Gadecki to uh, go on day two. Honestly, that was the name. I wrote down Robert Hainsey while I was watching Luke, so I'm glad that you uh, that you made that connection. Uh, let's go to the defensive side. I feel like one of the more underrated players in this entire class is Cameron Thomas, uh, the pass rusher from uh, from San Diego State, uh, playing in the Mountain West, has been so productive. And then interesting to get your thoughts on Amari Barno as well, uh, the the pass rusher from Virginia Tech. Yeah, a couple guys that we that don't get talked about a lot, but uh, are really good players. You brought up Cam, so. You know, I didn't scout Max Crosby when he was coming out. Uh, it was my first year at the Senior Bowl, and he was a junior, so I never really watched him. Um, I've heard some of those comparisons. Man, if that's close, so that says a lot for Cam Thomas. But, uh, no, he's a versatile guy. You know, he's, he's uh, you know, like 6'5", 260, um, can move up and down the line. I mean, they've played him everywhere there at San Diego State. He has initial quickness to win on the inside. He's, he's got enough to length and, and uh, first step to win on the edge, too. So, just a guy that can get home for multiple alignments, which uh, I think he'll he'll have a good week down here rushing the passer. And then uh, Barno is one of the high higher end athletes in this class. You know, I think there's there's other pass rushers that uh, uh, you know are being talked about more. I think Amari kind of gets lost in that group, which is which is crazy. I mean, he he's been really productive, made a lot of plays behind the line of scrimmage. But when you talk about a guy with like a basketball frame that he's still growing into, extremely long. Um, it, you know, in fluid off the edge, I think, I think his best football is way ahead of him. So, you know, teams that are looking to like really hit on a traits, a traits pass rusher. Um, I think Barno is going to be going to be one of those guys. Yeah, he's long, lean, explosive, uh, a fun player to study on film, former linebacker, made the move to DN. Let's get to uh, defensive tackles. A stronger group compared to last year. Uh, Haskell Garrett from Ohio State kind of leads this group for me. I'm excited to get your thoughts on Haskell. And then Neil Farrell uh, from LSU and, and what he's done in the interior of that Tigers defense. Yeah, uh, a, a stronger group last year. Last year was really thin on the interior D-line. I, I, I like this group we're bringing down here a lot this year. Haskell's a guy that we invited a year ago. Uh, he decided to go back to Ohio State. Kind of surprised us, but uh, so he and he, you know, he started a little slow this year in my in my opinion, um, but but really start getting cranked up in the middle of the year. So he's a guy that uh, you know I think he's a classic three technique. He has get off quickness, but he also has shock and he's he's stout. He's not a guy that's going to get run out of there um, on rundowns, and so uh, and he's a guy that can penetrate and get upfield and make plays. So. Uh, yeah, Haskell. So we feel like we're finally getting him. We thought we were going to have him last year. So good to get him down here. And then Neil, uh, Neil from from LSU, Neil Farrell from LSU is a local guy here, uh, Murphy High School here in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, a year ago, Neil was on the fence all the way through August, whether he was going to play through COVID or not. And he, he came back, you know, decided at the last minute to play. And I think it was kind of to his detriment. I think uh, 
COVID seemed to hit the bigger guys more so, you know, in our opinion, from what we saw on tape, that it, it hit those guys more last year. Uh, but Neil, Neil had by far his best year. He came back. He was better stamina and better shape, playing with better pad level. Uh, you know, a really good rundowns player. You know, I think he's a base down starter at the next level. Um, you know, on the inside, whether that's it, whether that's at a, a one or a three or, um, but a guy that's hard to root out of there. So, uh, you know, Neil earned it. He really did earn it. You know, over the summer, I would have said Neil was probably below the line, but uh, cool to see him make that jump this year. Yeah, it's been really fun to watch. Just holding the point. Really, really strong player, active player for LSU. At linebacker, a couple of those Georgia kids, obviously uh, really, really exciting with that defense did this year. Quay Walker, Channing Tindall. I'm really excited to hear about Channing. Uh, zero career starts, but just traits off you know, for days. Uh, an interesting player. I'm interested to get your thoughts there. And then Troy Anderson uh, from Montana State. They, they go to the FCS title this year. I feel like this is a player that uh, you used to work uh, with, the, with the Patriots. So this is a Patriots player uh, all day with his versatile skill set. Interesting to learn more about Channing Tyndall and Troy Anderson. Yeah, Channing, uh, Channing's, Channing, Channing's really fast, man. It's <laughs> just so like, let's not belabor the point. Like Channing <laughs> Tyndall can fly. I think he's going to be, you know, 447, uh, 448 range, which is, uh, you know, I just bring it back to like Bobby Wagner coming out of Utah State. We, we had him there in Seattle when I was there. And, you know, that's, that's where Bobby was. Similar size, similar speed. Um, you know, you said hasn't been a full-time starter, but when he's out there, dang, is he, is he good? Like late in the year, uh, you know, you could, everyone can see those PFF grades from late in the year, but even getting the grades from the Georgia defensive staff and seeing how this guy was grading out, um, sky's the limit. I, I would be surprised at this point if Channing gets out of day two, um, just based off feedback from the league. I think he's going to be, could be a, a third round guy, but if you're running four fours at linebacker, I mean, there's a really good shot you go in round two. So uh, good player. And then Troy Anderson. Yeah. Uh, my hope for Troy is that he just goes to an open-minded staff, man. I, I hope he goes somewhere where people are open-minded and, and using that full skill set. So, um, you know, I think there's some split camp in the NFL right now. To, like, what is he? Do we, do we keep him on defense and let him continue to develop, um, you know, and develop the, the reactions and, and being more of an instinctive football player on defense? Um, or do we put him back on offense where he had background at running back and quarterback and make him kind of a Taysom Hill uh, type weapon? But, you know, either way, he's going to be a, a core special teams player. He's 6037. He's another guy that can really run. Um, so he's going to find a home somewhere. It's just kind of where that home is now. But, you know, talking to the people at Montana State, he sounds like an absolute stud of a kid and a guy that everyone's going to want in their locker room. So I think the interview process down here is going to be really, really good for Troy. Um, I just can't wait to get him down here and, and see how they use him. Going to the cornerback spot, Roger McCreary, real shot at being a first-round pick, one of a handful of guys uh, in Mobile that I think you could say that about. And Kobe Bryant uh, from Cincinnati winning the, uh, the Thorpe Award as the top DB in college football. I should get your thoughts on Roger and Kobe. Yeah, uh, so Roger's another Mobile area guy, uh, Williamson High School here in town, so I've been watching him for a while. You know, he's, he's – his only offer, uh, FBS, was to South Alabama coming out of high school, and then he got a late offer from Auburn and, and flipped it. But I think he still – he plays with an edge. He plays with a chip on his shoulder. I think a, a great uh, – you know, a great uh, profile of that was the uh, Iron Bowl game against Alabama. You know, he he competed his tail off, got his hands on a bunch of balls. He's feisty. He can – you know, he can – He's good at the top of a route. He's a good reactionary athlete, um, so he can match routes. I think, uh, you know, the question for Roger would just be length and top end speed. Um, but if you want a guy that can cover, Roger McCreary, just bottom lining it without, like, can he cover or can he cover? Yes, he can cover. <laughs> right. Um, and I think he's got cover skills to move inside, which we didn't see a lot of 
um, there at Auburn. And, uh, and, and with Kobe Bryant, uh, Thorpe Award winner, uh, you know, I think everyone's got Sauce Gardner, his teammate there, the junior, you know, projected higher in the draft. But I think it was, you know, having Sauce on the opposite side, Kobe saw a lot of attention. He's long, he's athletic, uh, he can really get off the ground. You talk about a guy that can uh, is going to be hard to throw over the top of, it's Kobe Bryant. So I think teams that like to play press man um, are really going to like him. You know, some of the off-man stuff in terms of technique, like he, there's some stuff you want to clean up, um, but he's a big, long athlete. So, uh, and, and again, sounds like a culture changer there when you talk to Luke Fickle. He really credits two guys on that roster, and that's Desmond Ritter, the quarterback, and Kobe Bryant. So, hmm. um, yeah, those two guys are – both, both, both two of our top corners coming down here this year. And my last question, Jim, uh, Brian Cook from Cincinnati, another player who really helped himself going back for that final year, just like Kobe Bryant and Tyson Anderson, uh, the safety from Toledo. It should get your thoughts on Brian Cook and Tyson Anderson. Yeah, we lost Brian. Uh, it was a bummer, man. He, he had to get a postseason surgery. He'd, he'd basically been playing with that, I think, from about the end of October. So, uh, yeah, one of our favorite guys here. He's one of our highest graded safeties. Um you know, they had James Wiggins and James and uh, Derek Forrest come out of there last year. So James was a backup rotational player. The staff there gave us a heads up over the summer that this guy was was on, you know, he was on the come. And uh, to see him get better, really until about that injury happened, you know, from September through the middle of October, he was getting better and better every week. One of the most physical safeties in the class, really good tackler, uh, you know, former HBCU guy coming over from from Howard. Um, and going back to his hometown to play for the Bearcats, um, man, I hated to lose him because I think he's going to be a, a really good player at the next level. And then Tyson's a, a really cool kind of uh, hybrid player, uh, you know, tall, lanky. Uh, he's going to run in the four fours, but you know, he almost played like a big nickel there at Toledo. You saw him matched up in a lot of man coverage stuff, even against wide receivers, which is which is a tough matchup, um, and, and Tyson did a good job. So it's a big week for him and all the other group of five and small school guys. It's just the ramp up and in, in level of competition. And, uh, you know, he's he's big, long, and fast, and so he's, he's going to project as a core teams player. He's, he's done a bunch of that at the college level, one of the best, best special teams players coming out in this year's draft. And now it's, okay, what is he, though? You know, we, we, we know the tools where there's a lot to like there, but where does it – where is the home ultimately? Is it is – you know, kind of a, a cover one, cover three, drop down safety. Is it as a big nickel? Is it a, is it a big dime? Can we put weight on him and make him a big dime? But um, big dime linebacker. But no, those interesting guys. I'm, I'm really Tyson's one of the guys that uh, again kind of flies under the radar. But he's one of the guys I'm most excited to see during the week. Yeah, I mean Tyson, very similar. Got J. Ron Curse a few years ago coming out of Clemson and really found a home this year playing for Dan Quinn uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Jim, this has been awesome. I know you guys spent uh, an entire year. It all culminates uh, this week in Mobile. Uh, best of luck uh, to you and your staff. Have a great week. All right, friend. Thanks for having me on. Love doing it, man. Thank you. Now it's time for draft buzz. All right, so good stuff there from Jim. Uh, always great to have him on. Obviously, uh, a huge week for Jim as uh, the action gets underway here in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, let's welcome in Chris McPherson, uh, who has been on the show basically on a weekly basis all through the fall uh, with our On the Clock segment. Uh, C-Mac, it's, uh, it's officially draft season for you. How's it feel? Uh, are we are we ever going to get the scoreboard, the final tally of on the clock? Are we still doing it? You know, uh, well, it was a tie. It ended in a tie you, uh, when you gave Ben that win at the end that uh, that evened it all up. So uh, we, decided, we decided we would walk away. We don't want there to be any kind of you know uh, debate about the overtime rules when it came to on the clock. So we said, you know, what, let's just put this to uh, bed. Ben's gonna tie and go on from there. 
Yeah, ben, Ben's going to be salty all throughout the uh, draft season. Great. That's right. All right. Uh, so let's get into uh, this conversation with Jim. And I thought that a good way for uh, some of our listeners who may be just joining us um, that would say like, oh, like, all right, we just heard some of the big names from Jim Nagy. What are some of the big notable takeaways? So you obviously listened to the segment. I'm interested to get, get your thoughts on some of the big takeaways. I mean, go kind of go item by item here on your list. All right, I'll, I'll try to go through these quickly. I was trying not to like have too, too many, but a lot of great information from that conversation. Uh, I'll start with the quarterbacks. And not this is not just a quarterback-related point here, but one of the biggest things about the senior bowl is seeing how the players interact with each other. Because Jim talked a lot about with Kenny Pickett about how he's like that alpha male when being around the other top quarterbacks that – He's had a chance to get to know him as a person because they thought that he was going to be in Mobile possibly a year ago. He had accepted his invite a year ago. So I, I think that's a big thing you see. And I think that's a thing that a lot of the scouts are looking for is how do these guys interact? Is a guy going to take on that leadership role or is a guy that likes to take a step back? Is a guy going to be first in line for drills? Let's think back to Devontae Smith that immediately he was the first guy in line at training camp leading the wide receivers in drills. He has that alpha dog mentality. So those are the types of things, those little things that the scouts and coaches and executives are looking for. So the other thing from the quarterbacks, all eyes are going to be on the quarterbacks. There's a lot of great ones there in Mobile, but I'm, I'm excited to see Malik Willis, someone who has all those, the, the big arm, the playmaking ability, but doing it on a stage with, other top seniors from around the country. You know, obviously he had the, the performances he had at, at Liberty, you know, different level of competition. How is he going to do on the bigger stage? Because I, I remember Justin Herbert from 2020, how, you know, his arm strength just popped right off the table. You know, things like that. Those are going to be the, the, and I think Jimmy even brought this up, that the guys with elite level traits, those things are going to stand out in these live drills. So I'm excited to see who, and not just from the quarterbacks, this goes across the board, who can set themselves out from that standpoint. It's just kind of a, a unique scenario, CMAC, because usually you, know, you and I go to the Combine every single year, and one of the benefits of the Combine is you get to see the top players at every position go one after the next, after the next, after the next, whether it's receivers running through the gauntlet drill, uh, defensive backs running, going through different coverage drills, you know, linebackers, D-line running the pads, right? So you get all these examples of seeing these guys one after the other after the other. It's rare that we get this opportunity with all of the top players at a position group that we're going to get here at the Senior Bowl. Obviously, no Matt Corral, who is going to be one of the top quarterbacks selected uh, in this group, almost certainly, right? So I think you look at Matt Corral as the one that's on the outside looking in from this competition, but then you look at all these other guys, they, it's very likely that these are six of the top seven quarterbacks off the board. And so uh, to me, it just makes for such a unique situation and a fun situation for every team to be able to kind of evaluate all of these players. I think that's going to be a really fun theme to follow this week. I totally agree. And to add on top of that, this is like the real last football environment where the combine is more drills. It's your workouts. You get you get to see the throwing drills and whatnot. But in terms of football practice, seeing how they compete in the team environment, this is really their last football chance to make a stand. So and with everything clustered the way it is, you know, someone like, you know, as Jim said, Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis, both likely first round picks, but how high they go in the first round will largely depend on how they perform this upcoming week in Mobile. No doubt. All right. Well, let's get to uh, let's get to the next one here. What's your second takeaway? 
Second takeaway, uh, the FCS guys, I'm looking at Christian Watson. You know, first, is he really going to check in at six foot four? And the way that Jim described how he moves, he's an easy mover. You don't see that from tall, big receivers. Oh. So is he really going to be able to to move like that? Is is Or is he really going to come in at 6'1", 6'2", and then, you know, that kind of changes some things a bit. So if you can bring that athleticism, that ability to move at that at a 6'4 frame, that's going to be impressive to watch. And the other thing was that he hasn't been challenged at the FCS level. So how is he going to handle, sort of like Malik Willis, how is he going to handle going up in competition? That's going to be great to watch. No, it's uh, always a big theme to watch in every senior bowl is how do the young guys get to respond? And, you know, as Jim alluded to uh, during that conversation, we saw Quinn Miners uh, last year, right, that uh, from Wisconsin Whitewater come in and he was outstanding and it helped make himself a second round pick with the way that he performed in Mobile coming from a lower level of competition. And we see that almost on a weekly basis, right? Ali Marpet with the Bucks a, a few years back, Alex Kappa, who also ended up uh, with the Bucks a couple of years ago, right? You see those guys, whether it's from FC, D2, D3 sometimes even, to come in and have that level of success uh, against some of the best players at their position or uh, at the rival position in the country, it's it's a huge boost to their stock. So, yeah, I agree. For Christian Watson and some of these other FCS, lower level of competition players, huge, huge opportunity here this week. That said, what is your uh, third takeaway for Jim? Third takeaway. So you have an offensive lineman who trained at IMG in Florida, comes from Australia, <laughs> six foot nine, 380 pounds. And you're like, wait, we're not talking about Jordan Mylotta. There's a, a possible Jordan Mylotta clone in Daniel Falele. That It's going to be so impressive to watch, especially I didn't realize that the bend that he has, that he could possibly move into guard. And I can't imagine a six foot eight, six foot nine. You know, I can't imagine Jordan Mylotta playing on the inside. And I was trying to think, uh, you you know you're you know longtime Eagles fan. You remember King Dunlap, who was six eight six nine. I sure. believe he played some guard. I'm trying to think if he played some guard for the Eagles. This was like late 2000s during the Andy Reid era. Um, but just such a massive, massive human being. Uh, if he could move anything like Jordan Mailata, Jordan Mailata paving the way for guys who maybe you would think, okay, is someone this big going to be able to really work out? Well, look at what Jordan Mailata has done in, in such a short time and. Daniel Falele will have at least the benefit of playing a high-level Big 12 competition coming into the Senior Bowl. Yeah, and that's what I think the it's so interesting because obviously both players arrived to America from Australia having not played the sport. Uh, Jordan enters the draft. Daniel Falele enters uh, college football, and he had offers from everybody. If you go look at it, uh, his recruiting story, uh, he had offers from all the Blue Bloods, but coming from Australia – he doesn't, he doesn't have an idea of like who the blue bloods are, right? He just wants to go with where he feels most comfortable. He wants to go with who, who's recruiting him the best. That's how he ends up at Minnesota. And they initially wanted to redshirt. I'm like, this guy's never played before. How can we put this guy out there? And then it's training camp that first year. And they're like, yeah, we got to put this guy out there. None of our guys can get past him. So uh, the, you're just barely scratching the surface there with Daniel Falele. Uh, when you can make those comparisons to guys like, you know, a King Dunlap, these other oversized offensive linemen, the difference is that Falele just has those movement skills that are just so unique. So, yeah, you get the size, but then with that athleticism, it makes him just so, so intriguing. Uh, that will be a fun player uh, to study here with, against a really good group of edge rushers. So uh, with that in the books, let's get to uh, your fourth takeaway. I was going to say three more and a nice transition. Speaking of the edge rushers, one of the things I love when you and Jim were talking 
was he's going into a scouting report. He's coming up with comparisons and you're, you know, you having similar comparisons or you have guys who come to mind. Uh, I was intrigued by the Cameron Thomas, the mm. uh, San Diego state edge rusher. Now Jim said that he didn't study Max Crosby, but that's some of the, the buzz that he's gotten from personnel people around the league want to know in your evaluations and what you've studied, if there's any person who came to mind or, you know, did you write down Max Crosby? At, at I, any I actually told Jim after that it was a, uh, it was Max Crosby. It was a guy I actually wrote down. I think they're very <laughs> similar body types. Uh, and, and not only that, when you look at Cameron Thomas, it's not that he's like, oh man, like look at his first step or, uh, oh, he's so powerful, but he's so good with his hands. He's got a wide variety of different rush moves at his disposal. He's got that inside out flexibility, which Max Crosby did at Eastern Michigan. Obviously they both come from uh, the group of five level, but I think when you look at uh, the the level of competitiveness with the hand usage and the well-rounded skill set, I mentioned no elite trait, but I think you check the box. There's no like big weakness either. And that's kind of what Crosby was when he was coming out of EMU. Uh, Crosby ended up falling to the fourth round. My guess is, is Cameron Thomas does not fall to day three of the draft. I guess we'll see how he performs uh, this week in one-on-ones. But uh, I, lo- I I had that name written down, and I was so glad. That was, that was, when that was the first comp uh, that came to mind for Jim, uh, that really stood out to me as well. That's too funny. So two more here. Uh, next up, it's going to be interesting because all the players get to wear their helmets from college. And right. we're going to go at the linebacker position in Channing Tindall. And you're going to see that Georgia helmet and obviously the phenomenal defense they had on their way to the title this year. But he was a part-time player. He yep. was never a full-time starter. So it'll be interesting putting him on an island in terms of projection that you're not evaluating him you know, alongside Nicobe Dean on all the other great players on that Georgia defense. It's you're focusing on Tyndall and then, okay, what can he be at the next level? And this is a guy who at the second level is going to run, you know, in the, in the high four fours, low four fives. Whew, that's going to be something, but it's going to be that projection of how come he wasn't a full-time player, or a starter on that Georgia defense. And then what does that mean for him going into the next level, not having uh, that level of experience before? And it's an interesting comparison to CMAC because uh, there's a player playing on defense in this game, Jermaine Johnson, the defensive end from Florida State, who he transferred. He was, he was at Georgia, wasn't playing. He was a backup and transferred. So he got that one year of starting uh, of starting time uh, with Florida State and blew up. He had a career year. He had double digit sacks. He was constantly in the backfield. He was defending the run. He was doing everything you want from a three down player. And so you see both guys, they both end up in the league. And I think to me, like that's the it's so funny because like, you know, especially now with recruiting and the transfer portal, there's all these discussions about, you know, player fits and where should they go to play college. If you're good, like the NFL is going to find you. The NFL, whether it's uh, senior bowl, shrine bowl, NFL PA bowl, combine, uh, undrafted free agent, first round pick, everything in between. It doesn't matter where you play. If you're talented, like the NFL is going to find you. So you do what's right for you. For Jermaine Johnson, hey, I, w- I want to play. I want to make sure that I'm trying to improve every single play. For Channing Tindall, it's like, hey, I want to continue to be a great member uh, of this defense. I want to come in and compete with Kobe Dean and Quay Walker. And I'm going to push them every single day. If I don't start, that's fine. I have faith in my talent that I'm going to play and I'm going to make an impact when I'm out there. And Channing Tindall did that. Uh, He was impactful whenever he was out there on the field for the Bulldogs. But uh, I think it's kind of interesting to kind of pair those two guys together. And just an example of how, you know, it's not necessarily all like, yeah, you better go somewhere where you're going to play right away. Or you better go somewhere uh, where you're going to always be in the limelight. You're going to play on national TV every week. 
You, we were just talking about Cameron Thomas. We were just talking about Daniel Falele, guys that uh, come from lower levels. Christian Watson, we talked about in this conversation, right? So lower levels of competition, barely played the sport. Maybe you started a bunch of games, right? I mean, it, do, it doesn't matter. If you're talented, the NFL, the Senior Bowl, the Shrine Bowl, everybody, they're going to find you. So last point here, really a two-for-one here. Two guys I want to discuss here in this last point in okay. the secondary. Roger McCreary from Auburn. Love the background story of the hometown kid coming in. Uh, to Mobile, Alabama, get to play at the Senior Bowl. Uh, I, see, when you talk about the one-on-one matchups and someone who is real feisty and tenacious, like Jim described in the interview, how is he going to handle going against a Christian Watson who's not used to that level of competition? But Roger McCreary, obviously, is not going to have the size. And I think that's going to be one of the big questions uh, for McCreary coming into this. So looking forward to seeing how he matches up there. And then the other quarterback you talked about, Kobe Bryant out of Cincinnati, Oh, Sauce Gardner's getting all the attention, but Kobe Bryant, who was named after the, the Lakers great, the lower Marion grad, uh, actually changed his number from seven to eight for the college mm-hmm. football playoff this past year uh, to honor that Mamba mentality. Uh, but very interesting to see how he handles because with Sauce Gardner on the other side, as you guys discussed, Kobe Bryant was getting all the attention. So he's used to being challenged. By quarterback, so that that part will be interesting. So uh, looking forward to seeing those quarterbacks. But I love the two guys that you mentioned. You mentioned there, McCreary. You know, again, the hometown kid, great story, and then Kobe Bryant, great name, obviously. And then seeing how he does on his own, sort of like the same with uh, with Tyndall out of Georgia. You know, being the focal point for uh, teams to look at. Yeah, it's funny, see, Mac, because when you look at Roger McCreary, one of the big knocks on him coming into the season was all oh, like, uh, so he went, you know, a lot of SEC receivers uh, really took a tool. You, you watch him against uh, Devontae Smith and uh, all the players. Uh, you, I mean, you know, the SEC schedule, you're chock full of stud wide receivers. And McCreary's been in the starting lineup for three years. So uh, coming in as a sophomore, as a junior, and playing up against uh, some of the best players in the country at that position week after week after week. There's some bad film out there on 2020, 2019, you go 2018 with Roger McCreary. Then you watch this year and you see like, man, this guy just put it all together. He's, he's, he came out uh, on the other side of that adversity uh, and is better for it. And that's what makes him such a really fun player. I think when you look at his competitiveness, his ball skills, his instincts, he's a really, really fun player. And Kobe Bryant, I mean, C-Mac, a year ago, uh, we were doing our preview for the Shrine Bowl, which didn't happen, right, because of COVID-19. But I remember yeah. having Dan Shanka on uh, here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We're just going through players. Kobe Bryant was going to go to the Shrine Bowl, ended up taking that extra year. And, you know, I remember Dan kind of saying, look, you know, maybe he's a nickel, maybe he's a safety. Like, we're not sure if he's going to be able to play corner at the next level. Uh, he goes back to Cincinnati, has an outstanding year. He wins the Thorpe Award, and look at this. He's one of the, the first DBs uh, to accept an invitation to the Senior Bowl. So two guys wow. uh, that really helped themselves uh, here with their senior season. Now, was he a, a bonus senior, or was he a guy who came back because of he was he's a fifth year senior he took that extra year uh, of eligibility there's a, a bunch of guys uh, that are down here at the at the senior bowl uh, with that eligibility that guy that took advantage of that fifth year there are a bunch you mentioned Kenny Pickett earlier uh to Greek Castro Fields um, there were a, a handful of guys that actually had the invite a year ago Zion Johnson from Boston College is one uh accepted an invitation they were going to the senior bowl but then took that extra year of eligibility went back so uh there's a handful uh, of those guys in mobile uh this week and um look we've got a, a lot that we are going to cover uh, over the course of this week obviously daily podcast covering the action from Mobile Alabama uh one big thing you're going to see in your coverage not necessarily here on this podcast but just looking around uh at whether it's print coverage audio coverage video coverage of this event and every other all-star game 
is just the role of you know the the uh, the presence of scouts, the presence of all NFL teams in attendance. And one of the big things in CMAC, you know this, that comes out every single year is. Oh, Team X was seen talking to player Y. Oh, Team X is seen to be talking about uh, – they, they talk to these positions. They look at all the – they're tracking all the different guys they've talked to. Here's all I'm going to say. When it, and we've had so many NFL scouts on over the course of the last few years. This week here in the Senior Bowl, we're going to talk with some Eagles personnel uh, this week as well. But when you look at the way that teams approach the Senior Bowl, you are sending a crew of your scouts down. And literally, there are, you're, you're, a, you're the West Coast area scout. You're the, the Southeast scout, whatever it is. You are in charge of watching this position group every single day. You are in charge of after the after the uh, after practice is over, you're going to go and you're going to talk to the guys that are in your area. And so uh, you're an area scout. Hey, I'm going to watch. I'm watching offensive linemen, and that's all I'm watching all day long. I'm not paying attention to anything else. All I'm watching is offensive line. And now everybody gets together and you share your thoughts. You're going to go through the film later and, and take advantage uh, of everybody else. But I think when you look at um, the way that teams are approaching, uh, you know, covering the senior bowl and making sure that uh, you dot all your dot all your I's, cross all your T's, that's the thought process coming into this week. Everybody is going to talk with everybody. No stone left unturned. Uh, that's the goal here this week for scouting staffs across the NFL. That's not going to stop uh... – a bunch of tweets being posted. Of course not. No, it's, not. It's, 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 a, it's a war. It's a warning. It's like the combine. Did you, you know, the team X reporter, did you speak with our team? Did you speak with this team? Did you speak with that team? Yeah. Most likely they have spoken with each and every team by, by some point. So in fact, over the course of the week, pretty much the teams can get up to an hour with every guy. Yes. If, if they play their cards, right. If they maximize their time, you know, they'll get to spend an hour and, it's interesting for the scouts because they've been doing a lot of the homework on them. They've been doing the film study. They've watched these guys in person. Now they're getting the opportunity to talk to them, to get to know them as people, and to find out if they're the right culture fit. So obviously you're you're trying to marry the football side yep. with the with the you know culture, chemistry, team teammate aspect of it as well. And that goes back to what I said uh, at the beginning of the segment here with Kenny Pickett. It's you know. It's how do these guys interact with each other? What kind of roles? What kind of teammates are they? If they have a bad play, what's their body language like? How do they bounce back? That These are the little things that, that teams are studying all throughout the week coming up. Yep, no doubt. It's a absolutely the one of the biggest weeks of the year um, when it comes to the draft calendar. But I think that uh, it's important for everybody to just realize that yeah, like every team, their goal is to come in and talk to everybody. Sometimes it's seen by the media. Other times it's not seen by the media. Sometimes it's reported. Uh, their agents come out and report. Sometimes it's not right. So uh, just assume that your favorite team uh, is going to talk with pretty much every single player in attendance uh, at the senior bowl. That's the, that's the scouts and teams uh, all doing their due diligence across the board. And speaking of scouts, we're going to wrap things up here uh, in this week's episode with our final edition of our scout story segment the eagles director of player personnel brandon brown he has stopped by to talk through the wide receiver position and some of the big things to look for when projecting them from college to the nfl pull up a seat it's time for scout stories All right, well, let's get into scout stories here as I welcome in Eagles Director of Player Personnel, Brandon Brown, to talk about the wide receiver position. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the show. Fran, pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. So let's talk through wide receiver. Uh, obviously, a position that everybody, I think, you know, fans, media, everybody loves watching wide receivers, talking about wide receivers, putting their scouting hat on and watching, you know, and trying to evaluate and project wide receivers. What is it that makes it so hard to be able to project these guys to the NFL? Because obviously it's a passing league and it's a passing game. Everybody's throwing the ball. Everybody's putting up big numbers. 
Yeah, that's a great question, friend. I think obviously, you know, everyone loves wide wide receiver position. It's one of the, you know, the, the quote unquote sexy positions. And um, obviously from the, you know, data standpoint and the statistical standpoint, uh, it's something that, you know, you can quantify, especially early on in their career um, on, you know, success and and in uh, growth pattern. But, you know, especially projecting the wide receiver position from the college level, uh, I think there's some difficulties that um, don't show up on paper. Right. And what you know, I kind of go go at it from the grassroots um, aspect where um, you get a lot of these high level four low, four star, five star wide receivers. Well, from coming from high school and they are the, either the better athletes. Well, the college's role is to get them on the field as soon as possible. Right. Because the, the degree of talent between top level wide receiver and corner and at the college level, um, you know, it's 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 wide. And I think with that, you know, a lot of these receivers you know, come in and maybe line up with wristbands or a lot of minimal uh, mental intensity in terms of um, alignment on the job. So then when you fast forward and you get them into the NFL system, um, there's a lot that goes on pre-snap, right? Um, whether it's understanding the playbook may be a little bit more intensive, um, understanding the verbiage of a play, um, your assignment, you know, you may be forced to align not just in on some guys line, just one side of the ball, in college, sometimes you yeah. get guys that only align to actually their sideline in college. Yeah. So uh, I just think as you transfer to the NFL, you got to learn one, you may be shifting in different positions, whether it's, you know, X, um, Z slot or one side or multiple handling, multiple duties that you haven't had. And I think one of the most, un, I guess, unknown or um, less talked about aspects that I think is so much different than the college level is releasing versus press coverage. Yeah. Um, I think the degree and uh, difficulty at the NFL level of releasing versus press coverage is so difficult where you do see some type of uh, sometimes a hitch in the development of year one receivers that make a huge jump in year two um, because, you know, NFL DBs corners are are longer. Um, they have more strength. And, and frankly, you know, the degree of skill is so much higher at the NFL level between, you know, your average, talking about the average college corner where the ability to release and get open um, is harder and there's less separation at the NFL level. So I just think those are the, I guess, uh, the less quantifiable things that show up why, um, you know, you may see some of the tougher projections from uh, wide receivers going from college to the NFL. And just at the NFL level, you know, the consistency and being able to win one-on-one matchups and be able to win at all three levels um, is, you know, the, the biggest thing that separates the guys that are just average performers versus uh, the guys that are, you know, the got-to-have-it guys that you want to create plays for because they can separate when off the line of scrimmage and win their matchups, not just only short, intermediate, but also uh, on the deep part of the field. So it kind of keeps you um, on, a, on the defensive standpoint, not knowing whether, hey, um, is this guy going to be one-dimensional? Is he only a deep flyer? Or this is a guy that, you know, can can separate and, and come out of his intermediate breaks um, and threaten you there? And is this a guy that can take a screen and has the functional strength, you know, to, to create, you know, yard have to catch and take a, a bubble screen and take it to to whether it's 10 15 or an explosive for 20 plus yeah, so much to unpack there and i'm glad that you brought up the mental aspect of it and basically started with that aspect because you know you talk about whether it's uh defeating press coverage you know yards after catch if you're mentally behind you have so much going through your head pre-snap that it's hard to then try and focus on what's the leverage of the db how am i going to beat him on this on this play oh you know this is my route this is my assignment uh, so if you're not there mentally the, the physical stuff then doesn't always show up. 
A hundred percent. And then, and also when it goes into uh, versatility in routes, you know, and when you look into certain college systems, they may, if you're a, you know, a speed guy who uh, may have some stiffness or you're, or you're just raw and haven't been exposed to many routes in your college system, you may have only just run, run majority, maybe crossers, verticals. Um, but then when you get to the NFL and maybe you're, you're asked to, to do some of the intermediate routes and you may be maybe a four, four guy, you may play like a mid four or five guy because you become what we call, you know, a step counter, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have your landmark of where you need to be at your breaks. And because you're not used to running these routes in your head as a receiver, you, you start to, to count your steps and, and look towards your landmark. And then you may telegraph your break and you may give a tell of when you're coming to balance to throttle down, which makes it easy for the DB to, um, to sit on a route. Um, and then, you know, you're not playing to your quote unquote time speed. And you see a guy that, you, you know, you love on college tape and say, hey, well, why isn't he running as fast or why isn't he playing as fast? Because, you know, that mental aspect um, still may, may not be smoothed out. And that's when you see, you know, you, know, you got to get a guy I like to say you make that biggest jump from year one to year two when you have that full off season to be fully immersed in the, the fundamentals and the um, all the nuances that, you know, you may not have in terms of going into your year one coming from your college program. And I've used the analogy here on the show before about uh, learning how to type. You know, you're a kid, you're learning how to type for the first time. And when you're learning, your, your fingers are latched to the home row, you know, they're right in the middle of the keyboard and you're sitting there staring and you're wondering how many, how come my words per minute is so low? It's because you're sitting there, you're still looking, you're still trying to find your way around the keys. It takes time before you're able to just like look at your screen and be able to type uh, without looking. Same thing with receivers as they're trying to learn, uh, run routes and not have to count those steps. So uh, that's, that's I, right. Yeah. That's right. You're, you're one, you're pecking on the keyboard and then uh, hopefully year two, year three, Three, it's it's smooth and you got your fingers on the home key and you're not looking down and that's kind of equate that as not looking down at the home key it's 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 think of it as uh you know you know having coverage awareness right yeah. you know if you're if you're running against zone and uh, just just knowing in terms of just feeling the soft spots and coverage knowing if based on formation you know the safety may be uh drifting towards the opposite side so you know that there may be a hole once you beat the corner um in in your certain intermediate pattern where you can hang um and it just becomes second nature you know, it's say, like, hey, it, you see it and you commit it to memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think that that maturation process, it happens sooner for 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 some than others. And, you know, once it clicks and it matches the uh, all the physical traits, um, you know, the height, weight, speed, things, everything from the fan that the fan base, the, the personal coaching and ownership saw. Um, I think that's when you get the perfect marriage. What's the best piece of advice? I love asking this question in this segment. What's the best piece of advice you've gotten, um, you know, from a mentor, or from a coach, you know, from anyone that you've been around when it comes to evaluating a wide receiver position? Yeah, uh, I think it's look in terms of does he have the skill set in his body to do more? Mm. And when I say the skill set in his body to do more is what is what has he been tasked and know what he's been tasked at his um, current place. So at his university, um, has he only been asked to run a certain route tree? And when you're watching the tape, you know, don't write him off as saying, hey, he has a limited route tree. This may be what he's been called in terms of a task for his program. But look at what he has in his body. If he's a guy that's more often not, you know, throwing high volume bubble screens and say your, your current offensive scheme at the NFL level calls for um, maybe some intermediate routes, um, maybe some uh, vertical, some, some vertical game. And you say, hey, well, I don't know if he tracks it well enough, right? Vertically. Um, you have to f- look for situations that you may have to see them, him do these things that aren't in the game. Like that's if you're in the college side, going to 
see them at practice. You know, whether they're it's it's a it's a maybe a, a pre-practice pat and go, maybe it's warm-ups, um, maybe it's at the at his pro day in terms of you're putting together a script where say, hey, I need to see him run these certain routes and to help validate because if you know, hey, this guy has great explosiveness off the line of scrimmage, he's a ground gainer in terms of he eats up yardage and he can close DB cushion quickly. So I see the the, the ability in his body to threaten vertically, even though his, his offensive system in college doesn't call for it. Now I wanna say, hey, can he track it consistently? So you wanna make sure you hit him on those things when you go to those those pro days and those workups, um, you know, pre-draft process. And then um, then also you you wanna make sure that, hey, maybe he doesn't, run a ton of intermediate routes, but this guy has loose hips and you can see him sink and do certain things that would equate to being a good intermediate route runner. Or say if he lines primarily on the perimeter, um, but you think he has all the release mechanics and zone awareness to actually offer slot flexibility. Mm. Well, then that then, then you get more value on the player. You're not just evaluating him for where, where he lines up currently and what he does in his college program, but also having a bigger appreciation for we can do more and there's more meat on the bone based on his actual athletic skill set. And I've had this conversation with people because uh, when you look at receiver, so often they're the last guy to touch the ball, obviously, right? So uh, a lot of these numbers, a lot of these metrics that people will use to try and stack guys and look at it from an analytical standpoint, one of the big ones that people will point to is average depth of target. And it's like, well, that's a that's a usage stat. That's not necessarily like a, a proficiency stat. That just shows how he was used in the scope of that offense. You know, there are guys that are run 4-3 and maybe they're running a, a ton of speed sweeps and they're catching the ball behind the line of scrimmage or they're going to take these shallow crosses within three yards of the line of scrimmage. Yeah, that A dot's going to be a lot lower than a guy that was used as a vertical threat or an intermediate threat running deep digs and over, you know, deep over routes. It's uh, to me, I, exactly what you said, like you're looking at the skill set, what the guy shows in his body to be able to project that forward. Correct. You don't you don't want to penalize guys for their usage or they're only doing what they're being yeah. asked to do in their current program. And, you know, it's, it's our job in, in the scouting department and in working in conjunction with the coaching staff. You know, does can this guy handle the tasks that we need to be have a successful wide receiver for our offense? And if the answer is yes, you know, you got to put him through the ringer on, on, on every drill and, and all, all, all nuances to make sure he can handle the task. So the last question I've got for you, obviously the Eagles selecting Devontae Smith in the first round this past April, a, a guy that did check so many of those boxes where you talk about like the route diversity, uh, the ability to go up and win at the catch point. And then especially like, the, and this is undersold with him, the mental aspect of the game and everything that he brings to the table. Uh, what was your evaluation of, of Devontae and your experience with him uh, during that pre-draft process a few months back? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd say, you know, Devontae is a, a scout's dream in terms of at, at, at wide out when you look at all the boxes you need to check. And when I say all the boxes you need to check, you know, you look at the critical factors and the position specifics and you say, hey, um, you know, re- release. Can he win off the line of scrimmage? Check. Can, uh, can he create separation on the top or intermediate routes um, and, 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 and make it be an easy target for receivers? I mean, for the quarterback? Check. Um, hands and ball skills, contested situations, um, sideline throws, red zone throws. Can he pluck away from his frame? Can he adjust and torque his body and adjust to low balls? Check. And then you look at the position specifics, right? The, the run after catch. Can he take a screen and create an explosive? Check. Is he a ground gainer? Um, can he threaten DB's coverage and, and be a guy that can win on all three levels, you know, short, uh, intermediate, and vertical? Check. You know, coverage awareness. Does he find the soft spot of zone? Is he, does he have high mental aptitude? Can he align in the slot? Can he bump outside? Can he be that movable chess piece that you can create um, plays for? Check. 
you know, big playability. Can can he take a, a screen and and turn it into an explosive twenty plus? Does he have uh, good deep ball tracking skills? Can he can he catch the ball? You know, seeing it over the left hand, left side shoulder, and then track it over the right and adjust and and while fighting off a, D, a DB check. So I just look at all those things that I'm going down the checklist. And you're saying check, 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 and check, and it's one of those things where you get excited because it's hard to find. Um, a wide receiver that can do all the things physically, but also handle the mental rigors um, of the position. And then to me, you know, the biggest thing of hitting your ceiling um, as a receiver. And when you see a lot of guys that don't, that don't hit their ceiling, it's okay. Well, what is his preparation day to day? And from Sunday through Friday at the college level, uh, does he have a system, a systemized, regimented plan um, to hit his ceiling? Because he's going to need that in NFL. And you look at Devonte, and he and he does it. You know, he's I could say call it he's he's a grown adult. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, he um, he understands mastery of his task. Um, he's going to put time on hand. Um, you know, last guy to leave the practice field. Uh, someone that focuses on the nuances. And when you focuses on the nuances, they become uh, committed to memory. Just like we talked about guys that master route running and it becomes secondhand. It just, just becomes like, like typing on the keyboard, it becomes so smooth and effortless. Um, he has so many of those traits that get you excited where not only um, can he be a guy that you feed, um, he becomes a guy that becomes a pillar of your program because he has all the, the work ethic and skill sets that will permeate through his room and onto the offensive uh, side of the ball with the rest of the guys there. So um, can't say enough good things about the young man and, uh, you know, excited for his future. Well, Brandon, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining us here once again on the Journey to the Draft podcast to talk about wide receiver play. I appreciate it, fan. I appreciate you having me here. And Brandon, it's been a, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. So really good stuff there from Brandon Brown. Obviously, the point uh, about the what I what I personally loved was the uh, the player development aspect. Where for colleges, look, they want to get their most athletic guys on the field. So it's not necessarily all about preparing them for the NFL. They're going to do what they need to to get their playmakers the football and get them to them fast. So maybe they're not teaching them every single part uh, of playing the position. But I thought that was a really interesting nugget there uh, from Brandon talking about wide receivers and uh, looking at the 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 route diversity. Uh, I loved the analogy uh, that we kind of came up with together in terms of uh, you're learning to type and staying along the home row when you're first learning to type you're watching the keys and the more you do it the more you do it now all of a sudden your eyes are up on your screen and not looking down at the home row kind of comparing that to route running I thought that was a really fun analogy I was really glad we were able to kind of eke that out uh, of that discussion then obviously uh, the scouting report from Brandon from Devontae Smith and what we saw from him uh, this year as a rookie great stuff with Devontae Smith uh, as a rookie great season from him uh, this season in 2021 great stuff uh, from Brandon Brown all season long. Hope you guys have enjoyed my conversations uh, with Brandon Brown, Anthony Patch, Ian Cunningham, uh, and of course, Alan Walking every single week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Now, we are going to be breaking stuff down every single day from here on out. Make sure you stay tuned for our mock draft only, uh, Senior Bowl only talent tomorrow. That's going to be with Ben and with Dane. We'll also put a little bit of a ribbon on the Shrine Bowl as well. We'll do that uh, at the end of tomorrow's episode. Make sure you stay tuned. We'll have practice recaps every single day, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right here on the feed. Get you all ready for Saturday's game. We're going to break it all down right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.